Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Welcome to Metron Live, uh, the Metron podcast coming to you from Metron. Um, live people, would you tell the podcast people that we appreciate them logging on and listening? Give them a big hand. Uh, I speak in this atmosphere and I say, let there be light. Um, I believe this is a now word. Uh, this is manna. This is rhema. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to preach liberty to the captives. And whoever hears it right now, or if they hear it ten years from now, that it will be exactly whatever he or she needs to hear in exactly that moment. We receive with joy the engrafted word that is able to save our souls. Welcome, Spirit of Revelation. Welcome, Spirit of Truth. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome, Revelation knowledge. Welcome, prophetic insight. Welcome, word of wisdom. So be it. Amen. You may be seated. Um, Jacob in the scriptures was a unique Bible character, um, mystic, prophetic. Um, His name meant supplanter, literally one who takes by the heel. He was, uh, he was part of a set of twins. His older twin's name was Esau. When Esau came out of the womb, because in, in, uh, that culture, the firstborn was the one that got the blessing. Uh, when Esau was coming out of the womb, Jacob was holding Esau by the heel. So when the physician or midwife pulled the baby out, two came out at the same time. And throughout Jacob's life, that um, thing that happened at birth seemed to have been the template for his life. Later on in life, you know the story about how Isaac had gone blind and he was going to pronounce the blessing and the birthright on Esau. And um, uh, Jacob, uh, Jacob's mother preferred him. And... Uh, she said, "Let's." While Esau was out hunting, she said um, to Jacob, "Because Esau apparently they they were not identical twins, because uh, Esau was her suit, a hairy man, and Jacob was not, so they were fraternal." And uh, she came up with an idea. She said, "Let's uh, let's put some animal skins on your arms because I, we know your dad's going to want a feel of you to make sure it's you before he." pronounces this blessing. In this culture, once a blessing was pronounced, you couldn't take it back. It's like that was, you couldn't, there was no, no takesies, backsies with blessings. So it was like a very significant thing that the the father says this thing over the uh, over his offspring. And so they, uh, they put animal skins uh, with like pelts 
on Jacob's arm. And when Isaac feels it, and he says, he's, he knew something was up. He said, you, you seem like, es- I mean, you feel like Esau, but you seem like Isaac. But they pulled it off, and you know the story about how Isaac gives him the blessing and, and the birthright. I'm not exactly sure what the difference between those two, two things were, but whatever it is, that's what people aspire to get. And um, so when Esau comes back, you know the story about how he was uh, distraught that um, Jacob had literally supplanted him. He had, he had taken him by the heel. He had fulfilled um, sort of his destiny. And that seemed to be... Um, uh, Jacob was uh, his whole life like looking for the next thing. What, what can you give me? Where, where's the blessing? And in this story I'm going to share with you, uh, it, it actually served him. And I think, I think uh, I'm going to present this to you in a way that you may relate to it in ways that you have not related to it before. Okay? Um, I don't take all of these, especially Old Testament stories, literally, I'm not saying the supernatural doesn't happen, but I also know there's a lot of things that it's the it's the it's the point of the story that matters more than the um, literalness of it. Like if I said to you, there's a a fable about a tortoise and a hare, and they go into a race, and the the rabbit takes off, but the uh, tortoise takes his time and. It's a great story about perseverance, that if you hang in there, even if you're not the fastest, you'll finally get there. Now, if you say, I need to know exactly where this race was, I need to know what kind of tortoise it was, I want to know what kind of hair it was, I know was there any documentation, you're missing the point. It, it doesn't matter. Like, if you get caught up in the literalness of it, and you start trying to disprove it because you say, I just don't believe a rabbit and an amphibian would actually be in a race. Like, again, missing the point. This is why I don't argue with people who are fundamentalists about the Bible. Uh, when, when Moses wrote, as we assume, wrote the Genesis narrative and talked about the earth being created in six earth days, uh, he was not writing it as a scientist. He was not saying... This is an archaeological, anthropological, scientific study and how all things came about. He was writing it poetically. He wasn't there. He, he was coming up with an idea about how, what, what he believed. And every one of the ancient cultures had a creation myth to them, and some of them are similar, some of them are not. Again, if you, miss, if you get involved in the literalness of it, and believe me, plenty of people are. I mean, entire denominations split over this kind of stuff. Um, do I believe Noah had one of two animals on the ark? I'm going to tell you, it's hard for me to imagine that a couple of penguins in the North Pole got on an ice floe and <laughs> made it all the way across the Atlantic Ocean into Mesopotamia. That's Yeah, that's a little bit hard to believe. The point of the Noah story is God says, I'm going to destroy the world, but you can save it. And so what, what that story is about is one, one man, one person can make a difference. If there had not been a Noah story, 
There would be no Gandhi. There would be no Martin Luther King. There would be no Rosa Parks. There would be no uh, nobody who took it on themselves to say, the, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, but I'm going to do what I can to try to save it. So again, if people... If people want to literalize it, it's fine. But, you know, at this creation museum they have up in Ohio somewhere, they literally have, uh, uh, like, they have, um, like, recreations of it. I'm not puppets, but they're like, there's these things they've built. And they literally have, uh, dinosaurs on the ark. So they're trying, cause they're trying to make, uh, the, the ones who actually believe dinosaurs existed, a lot of, a lot of fundamentalists believe that dinosaurs are a trick of the devil. That the devil just planted uh, dinosaur tracks because they are you y'all are laughing, but I'm telling you, people will f- come to blows over this kind of stuff. They take it really seriously. Uh, and when you say the Earth is several millions, possibly billions of years old, people call you a heretic. They're like, "No, the Bible says the Earth is only six thousand years old." No, baby, Moses was writing something that you clearly have misinterpreted. So. This story I'm about to show you, did this literally happen? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not ruling out the supernatural. But I'm going to show you some things that are problematic with the story if you read it with literal eyes. Like I told you a couple weeks ago, I don't ever tell anybody to stop reading the Bible. I just say you just have to know how to read it. I love the Scriptures. I even believe they're inspired. I don't believe they're infallible. I don't think the writers said they were infallible. The, the whole myth of infallibility is a religious doctrine called bibliolatry that I, I personally believe the authors of the biblical books would be horrified by because they were writing about transcendence and spirituality in their generation in ways that they could comprehend. So um, if you'll notice, literalists rarely have revelation. Because if you approach the Bible um, with your with your mentality, you're not gonna you're not gonna catch the message of it. Um, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now when it comes to the gospels, do I believe there was a man who walked on the earth and performed miracles? Yes, I do believe that. Uh, I don't think those are um, I don't think those are allegories. I think those are are real real events that happen. However, uh, there were men who were writing about these things decades after they happened. So I still I still am not going to argue about the literalness of them. When you read the four accounts of the resurrection in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're very different accounts. What matters is there was one constant in the stories. There was a man who died and was in a grave and came back three days later. Do I believe that literally happened? Yes. I will always, as out there as some people might think I am, I will always believe in a... To me, at this point, if I didn't believe in a literal resurrection, I think, well, what's the point? Uh, so, yes, I'm going to always believe that. I mean, basically, uh, the Apostles' Creed, I could pronounce, I could recite that, especially the modern version of it, and not have any issue with it at all. But I'm also not going to argue with people who have a completely different take on it because um, I don't know everything. <gasps> Are y'all okay? I so, I didn't mean to. I wasn't supposed to tell y'all that. Now the few people I have in here are going to go, that's it, I'm out of here. I thought you knew everything. Why do you think we drove over here today? All right. 
So, um, in the um, narrative of um, Jacob and Esau, after this thing happened with uh, Jacob taking the birthright, they sort of went their separate ways, and they were pol- um, polygamists. They had multiple wives. They each of them sort of became a nation unto themselves. And where we are in this story, I'm going to give you the title of the sermon in just a second. Where we are in the story is when Jacob is en route to meet Esau after all of these years. And he doesn't know, he doesn't know how it's going to go. It's like, have you ever had a falling out with somebody or you're, you're reuniting with an ex for something and you're like, I don't know, like somebody texts you and says, can, can we get together? And you're like, oh, snap, what is this going to be like? Is it, are they coming in peace or do they have a gun or, you know, do I need to, do I need to bring back up? I don't know. I mean, there's some people I've reached out to that my, my opening statement was, I come in peace because I know you're probably surprised to hear from me. So, uh, where we're going to start this story in a second is where, uh, this is the night before Jacob is to meet Esau, and he does not know what to expect, all right? So are you all with me? All right, here's the title. The title is Divine Darkness, Wrestling with God to Find Yourself. Now, when people tell this story, some people say it's Jacob wrestling with an angel. Clearly, uh, when you read it in context, he clearly was wrestling with God. There's no, there's not an angel. Uh, I was going to show you... I. I actually did include one picture here, but I was I was going to show you a lot of different artist renderings of Jacob wrestling, and they all are him wrestling with a winged character, uh, assuming it's an angel. Because frankly, to some people, the idea of wrestling with God just seems really out there. Like, you know, I'm supposed to obey God, worship God. God's in charge. Why would I, why would I fight with God? So um, we're going to tell you why. Uh... Let's start. This is Genesis chapter 32. We're going to look at 10 verses, verses 22 through 32. And I'm reading this one in the Living Bible. Okay, here we go. But during the night, he, talking about Jacob, got up and wakened his two wives and his two concubines. (laughs) Jacob was a player. I don't know why he's telling with two wives and two side pieces, but he clearly is. Uh, that's why when people say, I don't believe it's same-sex marriage, we need to get back to biblical marriage. I'm like, have, have you read the Bible? Because biblical marriage is a man having a harem and buying and selling women as if they are prop- property. So I'm not sure that's what you want to go for. Um, anyway, I, we, I don't know. He, you know. he, Jacob's 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were birthed through four different women, two wives, two concubines. I don't know how concubine became a wife. I don't know what the, I don't know if there was like a <laughs> trial period. <laughs> I don't know. But he did. It was uh, Rachel and Leah and Zilpah and Bilhah. And when you read, I don't read the Old Testament that much, but when I go back and read the story of how they all got together, it's it's so R-rated that if you did a, a depiction of it, it would be, I'm not going to say pornographic, but it would definitely be for adults only. I mean, every time I go back and read that, I'm like, oh my God. You can't read the, you can't read the Bible to children. That's why some of these politicians that are, 
uh, banning books right and left. And some of the ones they banned, I'm like, To Kill a Mockingbird? You banned that? Uh, the Bible would have to be on the top of your list. Like, how have you, how have you not banned it? Oh, y'all haven't read it, so y'all know what I'm talking about. Alright. During the night he got up and wakened his two wives and his two concubines and eleven sons and sent them across the Jordan River at the Jabbok Ford with all his possessions, then returned again to the camp and was there alone and a man, capital M. It does not say an angel materialized. It just, you, you gotta fill in the blanks here. He says he, he gets them situated because he doesn't know what he's in for with Esau. And suddenly, there's just, there's just a man there. Um, Eddie wrote about this from last Sunday, and I'm, I'm glad I liked the way he wrote it. Uh, last Sunday morning, we had our sunrise meditation. And as we were coming up to an end, I told everybody, I said, I want to walk over here to where that hose is coming down off the, uh, off the mountain. Because there's a, it's an open area where you can really see the river very well. And um, I'm, I'm not going to punch this story up. I'm not saying this man just appeared out of nowhere. I'm telling you, as I was walking over there, I did not see him. Now, granted, I'm slated for cataract surgery in a few. <laughs> but I can, you know, I can tell there's, what is there, like uh, 275 people in here today? I mean, I can, I can see you all here. You, you, y'all can just tell me now we had the biggest crowd ever, and I want, I want, I'm like, that's awesome. Bishop, we had so many people today. I think it was a fire hazard. I'm like, well, praise God. <laughs> no, I could see y'all. But, um, I did not see him as I, and it, I don't know how far was that, a couple hundred feet, two or three hundred feet. So as I'm walking over there, Suddenly, it just occurred to me, there's a man standing there. And he's he's like looking out over the river. And uh, when I walked up to him, I said, pardon me, I didn't really realize anybody was standing here. I hate to interrupt you. Um, and he didn't say anything. He, he stood there and just looked out over the river. And I thought, well, this is odd. And I said, um, we can come back. If we need to, I said, I just have a little meditation group over here and we just want to come here and take a quick picture. Then we'll be out of your way. Cause it, it, it kind of startled me because I did not see anybody there. And when we walked up. How's this dude here that I didn't, I didn't see him. So he turns slowly to me and says, meditation is very, very good. I said, okay, thanks. I'm not saying it was creepy, but it was, you used the word odd, it was odd. So by this time, everybody had followed me over and they were there and he, he kind of stepped back and I said, sir, do you, do you mind taking a picture of us? And he obliged to a couple of pictures and we said, thank you very much. And I was going to get out of his way so he could go back to whatever he was doing at the river. And we, suddenly we all look and he's, correct me if I'm exaggerating this. But he's walking off like this with his arms up like he's, he's like doing this, walking off. And again, I'm not saying he vanished. 
but he walked around the trees to where we couldn't see him anymore. I don't know where he came from. I don't know where he went. He was not there parked in a car. He was just an unusual man who was at the river, and I don't know why he's walking around like this. And I thought of this this week, because it just, it just suddenly says, and a man was there. I don't know if this has ever happened with you, but I've had maybe angelic, and this is what your post was about, because he, uh, he mentioned the scripture where, uh, the writer says, um, show hospitality because people have entertained angels unawares. And I've, I've had many situations in my life where somebody was just there at the right time and they didn't have wings or a halo, but they were just there when I needed them. And then when I turned to thank them, they weren't there anymore. It's happened to me so many times in my life. Now, was it just a fortuitous meeting? Yeah, could be. I don't know. Uh, I'm just telling you it's happened a lot. And sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you don't realize how unusual it is. And then later you think about it and you think, where did that person come from? And where did they go? Um, I've told you about when, when, so many times I've told you, when we lost Jonah on the subway when he was five. And when I got off the next platform and found him, there was a, a woman standing there with him. And I'm, you know, I'm burst into tears. I was so relieved to find him. And I, I, uh, asked her, I said, where, where did you come from? She said, I saw this little boy on the train. I knew he shouldn't be by himself. So I told him to follow me, which that was a little scary because, you know, I thought, well, he, anybody could have said that to him. Fortunately. And so I went down to hug Jonah. And when I stood up, she was not there. Did she, did she disintegrate? No, I'm just telling you that it's like, she didn't say goodbye. She didn't say you're welcome. She was just there at the right time. And I could, I could go story after story after story after story of, you know, being in a car trouble and somebody who's just like by the side of the road and said, do you need this? And it's exactly what I need. And then I turn to think that they're not there. Is it supernatural? I, I'm going to probably lean towards supernatural. You know my Einstein mantra, two ways to live your life. One is as though everything's a miracle. The other is though nothing is a miracle. And, <laughs> and y'all, you know, what what'd you say? Yeah, exactly. Well, and the, the song that um, BJ chose for that second song, it was... Um, my life is better than following you. And he used it for me. He said, thank you, bitch. We're all following you, which uh, I, I appreciate. But I was telling Howie yesterday, I said, you know, these people who are in my life now, I don't have to convince them. I mean, I can tell. I, if I said a man came down of heaven in a bright light, y'all be like, I know it. I saw him too. Y'all, y'all drank the Kool-Aid and, and, and you know, threw away the, threw away the cup. I know y'all. So I'm not having to convince, I'm wasting my time going, there might have been something supernatural, like you're preaching to the choir, man, we're into it. All I'm saying is, is it says, and a man wrestled with him until dawn. Why? It doesn't say some guy smarted off at him, it just says he gets everybody out of his field of vision, and suddenly... It's like 
there's a man wrestling with him. Was something left out of the story? Who is it? Is he unannounced? Is Jacob training for wrestling? I mean, it doesn't, it just doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense. What are you talking, what are you talking about? A man wrestled with him until dawn. Let it go on. And when the man, capital M, saw that he couldn't win the match. Now, this is problematic if you think, if this is God wrestling with him, you know, the first thing I learned uh, in Sunday school was God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God can do anything he wants to. You know, we, that was strong in our theology. My God can do anything. And so when it says the man, capital M, saw that he couldn't win the match, he made an illegal move. He struck Jacob's hip and knocked it out of joint at the socket. Now, if he'd done that in a wrestling match, he would have been he would have been uh, disqualified. I mean, that's fighting dirty. That's like kicking somebody in the crotch. I mean, that's what that's what that's like. It's like I remember a bunch of guys and I got we got pay per view and watched when Evander fought Holyfield fought Mike Tyson, and we're all standing up watching that thing. And I remember we all. Lean back and I said, did he just bite his ear? I mean, it's like, it's one of those things that you're looking at and you think, did I just imagine that? It looked like he bit his ear. And then when he bit him the second time, I'm like, oh my God, he did. Um, I don't know a lot about boxing, but I knew that was an illegal move. Because, and I've heard Mike Tyson's one-man show where he said, I knew I wasn't going to be able to beat him in any other way, and I just couldn't deal with losing. So this is basically, if this is God, or even if it's an angel. When you think if, if an angel picked a fight with you, you'd be like, I, I surrender. I can't, I can't fight an angel. Angel's going to win. Not necessarily. When the man, capital M, saw that he couldn't win the match, he struck Jacob's hip and knocked it out of joint at the socket. Then the man said, that still didn't do it. He's just injured Jacob, fighting dirty, still can't get free from him. I mean, if you take this literally and you think this is he's wrestling with God, you would have to say, Jacob's stronger than God. God can't prevail over Jacob. We're not, we're not Christians. We're going to have to become Jacobites because Jacob's the, he's, he's the ultimate fighter. When then the man said, let me go for it is dawn. But Jacob panted, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now that's, this is just in Jacob's wiring. He comes out of the womb. Trying to get, <laughs> trying to get what, what's his. You ever heard somebody say, I don't care about y'all, I'm, I'm getting mines. I gotta get mines. Y'all, y'all are on your own. And what that means is, I, well, you know what it means. And so J Jacob was th that guy. Um, 
Jacob panted, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. So, again, this is supposed to be God who can't get out of a fight with a human being, has to fight dirty, still can't get loose, and not only is he clearly not omnipotent, he's not omniscient either because he does it. It's not like he's saying, I am almighty God, how dare you fight with me? Y'all still with me? Oh, it gets crazier. We haven't gotten the crazy part yet. The man asked, what is your name, the man asked. Jacob was the reply. It isn't anymore, the man told him. It is Israel. One who has power with God. Literally, uh, the I'm going to show you this in some other translations. The Living Bible says this, but literally the definition of the word Israel that you're hearing in the news so much Right now, it literally means one who strives with God. It's, it's, um, I'm not going to say it's not a good name, it's a provocative name. It doesn't mean one who obeys God. It's, you know, those of you that have more than one child, and maybe you got that, several of them that, or no problem at all, and then you got that one that was like, sweet Jesus, it's ne- it's always something with you. <laughs> you know, and you think, where, where did where did that one come from? Because the other ones, the other ones are compliant and team players, and I got this one that is just always, always something. Always provocative. Always talking back. Can't just fall in line. Can't be a team player. You're the one that strives with me. And this is exactly what the term Israel means. Because you have been strong with God. Now I'm going to show you this in some other translations. It's going to rock your world. Because you have been strong with God, you shall prevail with men. What is your name, Jacob asked him. No, you mustn't ask, the man told him. This sounds very familiar to me to the Moses narrative. Well, if I go to Pharaoh, who shall I say sent me? And he says, just tell him I am sent. That's why when people get um, fixated on how you use a name for God, they're really limiting their ability for revelation. When somebody says to me, why do you say the universe? The universe didn't die on the cross for you. I'm like, oh, baby, that's such an elementary way to look at that. You're, you're missing the point. If I say the universe, what I mean is the concept of God is bigger, it's it's even bigger than the Bible. The, the men who wrote the Bible had tunnel vision about God. They just saw a piece of God. Um, I, I have no way of counting how many times I've told this, but it's it's the best analogy I've ever heard. You know, about the I've told you about the 
tribal people who had never, they'd never been out of their village, they'd never seen the ocean, but one of the men there had heard about the ocean and he wanted to, he wanted to see it. So he sets off on foot and, and walks for days and days and days and days and days and days and finally sees, he comes to the ocean. So, uh, blown away by it that he wants to take the ocean back to his village. So he picks up a shell on the beach, fills it up with ocean water, and for, for days carefully walks back not trying not to spill a drop because he wants he wants everybody else to have the same experience. He gets to his village and they say, where have you been? He said, I went to see the ocean and here it is. And those people who were looking at that thing he held in his hand had no concept of what he had just seen. We know in part and we prophesy in part. In my younger days, I was glib about God said this, God said that, God told me this, this morning God said this, I got up and I was having coffee and God said this, God said... When you get a little bit older and wiser, you start being very careful how you say that. Now I'm much more inclined to say, this is really strong in my spirit, I've been thinking about this all week, this particular word has a glory on it, but just to say, God said this, God said that, for one thing... If God's saying all that stuff, he's, he's, say, he's saying a bunch of different stuff to different people. Because some people that I hear preach who say God told them to say that, I think, well, you don't, we don't know the same God because the God I know would never say that. So if there is a voice of God, it's clearly not monolithic. I, years ago, I was watching a block of... Uh, airtime on TBN, and this could have been true for any any uh, PTL or C, CBN or whatever, but they were having telethon, you know, because they don't have advertising. That it's it's uh, kept going by the donations of people. So a different minister would have a different hour. And like the guy at 7 o'clock would say, God woke me up in the middle of the night and told me there were 17 people giving me $1,000. Okay. I mean, a couple of them I gave to him. Like, well, if God said it, I mean, I'm going to write me a check. But at eight o'clock, somebody said, "God, I was praying and fasting, and God said to me, there's 47 people that are going to get five dollars." Oh, I thought it was 11 people going to get. The guy at nine o'clock, Spirit of God spoke to me. I've never ever heard him speak more clearly. He said, "A hundred people are going to give a hundred Like, wow. From hour to hour, God cannot make up his mind. Should I tear up the check I just wrote? Because the 10 o'clock guy is saying something totally different from the 8 o'clock guy. And then when the 11 o'clock guy comes on, God woke me up out of a dream and said, you tell, you go on TV and tell them a thousand people are going to say, like, really? <laughs> it's like, it's like refreshing a page on your computer. Like, here's the voice of God. Refresh. Oh, now it's more. Okay. <laughs> like, oh, God changed his mind again. We better, I better shut this thing down. Every time I refresh, it's more money. <laughs> but this is interesting. He says, you mustn't ask. This does not sound like the God I heard about in church growing up. Because the God I heard about growing up would have said, I am the Lord thy God, and you should serve. The God. <laughs> this God can't win, can't play fair, still can't prevail, 
doesn't know Jacob's name and won't tell him his. This God needs to get saved. Um, what else we got? And he blessed him there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen who? God, capital G. I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is spared. The sun rose as he started on, and he was limping because of his hip. That is why even today the people of Israel don't eat meat from the near from near the hip in memory of what happened that night. Let me show you. Uh, I'm going to show you this verse in the next uh, two or three other. Uh, this is out of the message. This is Genesis 32:28. The man said, "But no longer your name." The man said, "But no longer your name is no longer Jacob. From now on, it's Israel, meaning God wrestler." You've wrestled with God and you've come through. He didn't say you've wrestled with God and you learned your lesson. You know, there was a, a Broadway show that was out for years. I, I still see it at the Fox every now and then. Your arm's too short to box with God. Meaning you can't win with God. Well, that apparently <laughs> this, this version of God says kudos to you, God wrestler. You fought with God and you won. You fought with man and you won. You know, the, uh, the Wiz is back on Broadway now. And, you know, that was the Scarecrow song in, in the Wiz. You can't win. Remember that Michael Jackson singing, you can't win? This God's like, well, apparently you can. Let me show you what he says in the, uh, International Standard Version. Your name won't be Jacob anymore, the man replied, but Israel because you exerted yourself against both God and men, and you've emerged victorious. Let me show you another version. This is out of the voice. Genesis 32, 28. You will no longer go by the name Jacob. From now on, your name will be Israel because you have wrestled with God and humanity and you have prevailed. I want you to keep that thought in your mind. Wrestling with God, wrestling with humanity. What did it do to you? All right. Let me show you. Uh, this is in the uh, uh, English Revised Version. Genesis thirty-two twenty-eight. Then the man said, Your name will not be Jacob. Your name will now be Israel. I give you this name because you have what? Fought with God and with men, and you have won. You remember uh, in Acts 9 when Saul of Tarsus is on the road to Damascus and uh, the bright light appears out of heaven and, and Jesus says to him, how long will you kick against the goads? In other words, why are you making it so hard? Why do you keep fighting God? You can't win. Here, Jacob slash Israel is commended for fighting with God. The God who apparently isn't strong enough to just knock him out. He's got to play dirty and still says, please let me go. Uncle, throw in the towel. Ouch. This is... Don't you see what a bizarre um, combination this is of this sort of supernatural 
being that seems incredibly impotent. Like, how is he so, how is he so strong and weak? How is he so unlimited and limited? How is that possible? Uh, was that all the versions I had, Michelle? Okay. Um, let me go ahead and finish out this, this, um, outline, and then I want to talk to you heart to heart for a minute. This is, uh, Joan Chittister. She's written a book called Scarred by Struggle, Transformed by Hope. This is what she says. Uh, Jacob does what all of us must do if in the end we too are to become true. He confronts in himself the things that are wounding him, admits his limitations, accepts his situation, rejoins the world, and moves on. Let me, um, let me say a little something about that before I read this last thing. Um, when I've taught you about Job, how that in the beginning of Job, it's God and Satan sort of playing this poker game with Job's life. It's the, to me, it's the scariest thing I ever read in the Bible because it's, it's these two presences just sort of being glib about his life. Like, all right, you can do anything you want to him, just don't kill him. I mean, that would be like somebody coming to me and saying, now look, I'm not going to kill one of your kids, but I'm going to beat the living daylights out of them. And for me to say, well, all right, just don't kill him. You can put him in, you can put him in the emergency room. Just don't kill him. No, as a father, I'm supposed to say, I'm calling 911 right now. You're, you're making a, a, a terrorist threat against one of my kids. And this is, I, like, God and the devil sitting there smoking cigars going, you know, yeah, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't worship you if you didn't, weren't so, and when God says, all right, I tell you what, tell you what, you can beat the living hell out of him. Just don't kill him. And Satan's like, all right. I mean, it, that's the way I visualize it. It's like, you know, they're sitting there with these cards with Job's face on it. Like, Satan's like, can I give him a horrible disease? Yeah, yeah, kill all of his kids. Break him out with boils all over his body. Whatever you got to do, just don't kill him. Like, I, I want to break into that room and go, God, where, where's, he shall arise with healing in his wings. I don't like this God. You're the God who's supposed to be protecting your servant Job. And God's like, ha, ha. Have at it. He can stand a lot. Which is why I do not believe the Job story is a literal thing that happened. I think it is a, when I say fable, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I'm saying there's a point to it because at the end, God comes to Job and speaks to him out of a whirlwind and says, Job, I didn't do this to you. Satan didn't do this to you. You did this to you. And you can get yourself out of it. I will confess to you that your right hand can save you. So, am I saying God's not real? I'm not saying that, but I will tell you in the Job narrative, God and the devil are him. They're his own thoughts. When Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, when he's on the Mount of Temptation, you read it in the Aramaic, he speaks to his thoughts. Get behind me, Satana. He calls his own thoughts, little s, Satana. Let me show you this slide. This is like a poem this guy wrote. This is Struggle by Steve Garnis Holmes. We trust a shadowed God who seizes us in lonely places, who comes to us in travail, 
who births us only in great labor. There is no struggle in which blessing is not enfolded in the mystery. There is no tribulation in which God is not networking the reworking the clay. There is no wound without the power of healing. Therefore, the prayer of the faithful is not that our lives be easy, but always and only this. I will not let you go until you bless me. Of the struggles life thrust upon you, do not... Do not let go until you get from them a blessing and become, limping perhaps, a new person with a new name. Bishop, what are you talking about? Have you ever, what do you mean? Have you ever wrestled with God? All right, can I keep it real with you all? When we came in this morning, you said, did you hear about Bishop Pearson? Is he, did he cross over yet or not? You don't think I'm wrestling with that? I hate that. I hate it with everything in me. I haven't seen this, but I talked to Rutherford this week, and he said that Christians are going on his page saying, you're about to find out there's a real hell. When you split hell wide open, I think, you know you know why? If I do believe in the devil at all, I believe it because, because of people like you. Yeah, there's a devil and you're full of him. For you to say that, People like rejoicing. Unbelievable. You think I don't struggle with that? We could all tell a thousand things in our life that are praise reports. We could also tell a whole hell of a lot of stuff that happened that doesn't make sense. Stories that didn't have happy endings. That we just sucked it up and said, well, that one didn't work out. You know, that person that I stood up and said, this is the love of my life that God has sent me. And they turned around and did something horrible to me. Like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Ouch. Things that you said prophetically that were going to happen that didn't happen. And you just hope nobody would remember. Those are the things that people struggle with silently. Now, let me tell you, I learned, when I, hats off to the faith message people that I was kind of mentored in it. Because one thing... They drilled into me early on. The, when I say word of faith, but you know what I'm talking about, those, those teachers out of Tulsa that I was followed very closely for years. Their whole thing was don't blame God, don't blame God, don't blame God. If something negative happens, I mean, but back then it was, we serve a good God and we fight a bad devil. So like, it was like, if it, if it's bad, it came from the devil, but don't ever, ever, ever blame God. So what I can, I can, that's so ingrained in me. That if the worst thing in the world happened to me today, it would not occur to me to blame God. I, it's, just, it's not even in my makeup. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll read people say, you know, I've served God all these years and this happened. I just don't understand. I, I, I don't even, I don't even have a neuropath for that thought. I would never, I would maybe blame myself on some stuff that I've gotten mature enough to own, but never God. I'm always, well, there's stuff I don't understand, but I'm, I'm not going to blame God. It's like, I, that's not even, I don't have to try with that. I'm like, well, I just got to put that in the file of mysteries, unsolved mysteries, but I'm not going to be mad at God. I don't, that doesn't even, I don't even understand how 
people think that way. Um, but I've wrestled with a hell of a lot of stuff all night long. Wrestled with it, trying to make it make sense. Especially, oh Lord, I remember one of the last, um, towards the end of uh, me being at Church in the Now, but it was was somebody in the church, honest to God, I can't even remember their name now, but it was somebody who was on life support and short of an insane miracle, they were probably going to go in the next few hours. And this is a man who has a wife and young children, and I I remember driving in Newton County Hospital parking lot, and before I got out, just putting my head back on the seat, and I thought, I can't do this again. I can't, I can't go in here and be the guy who's got the answers. Is this too real for you all? Come on, God, you're going to make me look in the face of these little kids and tell them their daddy died when they heard me say that healing is God's will and we had people praying and fasting for him. I can't do it. Please. Can somebody, I can't be the guy with the answers. Because you know what I also remember? I remember being in that same hospital when I first started the church. A man in the church, I'll spare you the details, but he had a automobile accident died a gruesome death and i'm there dealing with his seven count them seven children the oldest who is standing there when i get there and she says let's go in let's let's go in there and you can raise him from the dead and i didn't want to tell her ha- how bad it was and i said sweetheart we can't go in there and She's cussing me out and slapping my face, saying, you told me you could raise people from the dead. I'm like, I'm holding her hand saying, I never said I could raise people from the dead. You told me God could do anything. And I'm like, at that point, I'm thinking, i got to look into another line of work. This is so hard. And I understand she's a, she was like a teenager. But, you know, that's her grief speaking, but. Holy cow, when you've been the guy that's had to, to, to deliver that message, people respond to grief in very strange ways. When I was in the Assemblies of God, I worked downtown with my dad. Sometimes a family would be out of town and the, uh, their AG pastor would call and say, I can't be there. Will you go meet this family and tell them their mother just died? And I've got to walk into Crawford Long Hospital at the time, and there's a group of people standing there. I said, I don't know y'all, but I, your past, I'm Pastor Jim Swilly, and your pastor called me and said, I, I hate to tell you, but your mom has passed. And a guy comes up and swings on me. Like, I'm like this. I just missed his fist, and I'm looking like, I don't need this hassle. I don't even know these people. This guy could have knocked my teeth out. I wanted to go, dude, I didn't kill her. Don't shoot the messenger. But I'm saying, those are some hard things. If somebody says, you're a minister, what do you do for a living? I'm like, nothing. Not a thing. It's, a, it's such a piece of cake job. You should wish. You should just wish God would call you. It's a, All you do is eat fried chicken and sing high. Show up on Sunday mornings. Ain't, ain't a bit of work to it. I, I've looked, I've quit 
trying to explain it years ago, but I've, I've looked at some people going, yeah, that is not even a job. And think, you couldn't last a week dealing with some of the stuff that I deal with. You have no idea. I just learned years ago, not now, I don't have it now with Metron people, but back in the day, I would just be like, I know, it's a, it's a, it's a plum job. You ought, to, you ought to hope God calls you to do it. It's fine. But I'm talking about in my, in your personal life. Um, and you're eight years old, eight or nine years old. Your father puts you in his blue Oldsmobile and takes you for a ride. It's the first time you've ever heard the word homosexual. You're not even sure what it is. And he's, talking to you and he says I just want to tell you something if I ever thought you were that I would kill myself now years later when I talked to him about it he had no recollection of it I'm like I'm going to need you to pretend like you remember that because it was the pivotal conversation in my life that affected everything I ever did as an adult because he was just speaking out of his limited understanding of it and to his credit he made the best of it in years later but when you're eight or nine and you don't even know what sex is, but you're hearing this and you think, as you explain this, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about, but just saying the word is making me feel really funny. And I do know feelings I have for friends of mine that we're not being sexual, we're, we're kids. But okay, okay, something about me is so reprehensible it could facilitate my father's suicide. That will shape your brain in a particular way. And no regrets. Thank God. Thank God I got married and had children. I, no, I'm, I promise you I have no regrets. I'm just saying, when you start reading scriptures like, turned over to a reprobate mind, God gave them up to unnatural affection, abomination, and you're 11, 12, and you're like, Okay, how do I, how do I, you remember those of you that watched my coming out sermon? My opening statement was there's two things in my life I've had my entire life. I didn't ask for either one of them. I've never doubted either one of them. One is my anointing. I've known since before I knew anything that I had an anointing from God. The other was my sexual orientation. I've also known about that. I, I was presented in my life with an impossible situation because these two things are not compatible. That's why when, I won't say his name, but he's a megachurch pastor who, when I came out, stands up and says to his congregation, Swilly's just given into his lust, and if he was really a man of God, he would know how to take authority of that. And I think, dude, you think I haven't wrestled with this? You think I don't know your four little Bible verses? You think I haven't? Oh my God, that's what you think? You think I just woke up one day and said, I'm here, I'm queer, get used to it. Like, that's what, that's what you think? My point is, I know what it's like to wrestle all night long with a thing because you love God. You're wanting to worship God. You're wanting to work for God. You also know you're one piece of information away from certain people in your life never speaking to you again, ever. And over the years, it affects you. Now here's my point. And I didn't plan to go this real, but this only, 
you have to feel the impact of this message because there are things in your life, maybe a different circumstance, but you know what it's like to have a thing in your life that you've tried to make sense of, that you've wrestled with. Now, here's the, here's the good news. Friday, um, Maxine Blake had called me and said that Ed had passed. Ed was one of my first musicians at what became Church in the Now. And she said, I've got you on the thing is doing the Old Testament, New Testament. What I really want you to do is talk about it. And I said, okay, I can do that. So I went. It was an amazingly positive experience. Jimmy Mayo played, and I saw him, and a lot of people from Church in the Now. We're, we've all seen each other enough over the years now that it's not, there's no weirdness with us. I'm glad to see some people from the movement were there. Um, new birth staff could not have been nicer. Uh, you know, they met me at the door and showed me where to go. It was in a chapel. Their bishop was not there, but uh, one of their elders was. And he, so, you know, I never know what to expect when I go into a church world. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. And Dr. Saylor met me and he said, I'm so honored to meet you. He said, I followed you for years. He said, I'd love to exchange phone numbers and, uh, love to do something with you. He said, it's just, and he delivered this, such a good message. When he sat down, I said, that was brilliant. He said, I just did it because you were here. Cause you, you know, just, it was, it was that kind of thing. And then, um, we're in a situation with, um, you know, I said something hard about my dad. One thing that was wonderful about him, he had an amazing work ethic, always wanted to make sure, uh, mom and I were taken care of. Um, if I had come to him and said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got to, have, I got $25,000 tonight. He would have figured out a way to, I mean, he, he, when it came to providing, he was always for that. Never a cheapskate. Taught me a lot about your attitude about prosperity. He has a retirement thing with, through his denomination that my mom was trying to make a draw on. Because she needed like a loan against the money that was the investment. Through a whole series of things, come to find out, and thank God for Avery over here who makes sure I stay on top of this. But every year, we have to, you know, 501c3 is your um, uh, nonprofit. And every year, I wouldn't think about it otherwise, but she always makes sure there's a little form you have to fill out every year. And it, it shows who the top givers are. And she always says, do you want to look at this? I'm like, I don't know. I want to do it now. I guess sometimes it bums me out. And I'm like, okay. That's the one. She can tell you it's the one time of the year I look at who gives. The rest, of the, I, just, I can't bear it the rest of the year. So I'm just like, okay, okay. Don't show me anymore because it's going to mess with my head. Um, and I have to fill out a thing to make sure that I still have my 501c3. So that if you give a contribution, which some of you do, some of you don't, it's fine. But if you do, you, that's how you can write it off on your taxes. Um, well, um, my dad, when he went into dementia, he stopped doing those. And there was really no ministry going on at that point to report anyway. So he didn't think about it. I didn't think about it. Mom didn't think about it. So two or three years, well, a couple of years ago, she just closed out that account. There was an account. There was a couple of people that tithed a little bit to them, but it was so minor that some they wouldn't have even reported on their taxes. Well, anyway, come to find out, this money can only be dispersed into the account 
that's their 501c3. So we go check it out with the Secretary of State. That ministry has been dissolved since 2016. If it goes long in the five years, it can't be reinstated. So there's this money there, but no way to access it. And it's one of those things where you're like, oh, man, trying to find a tax attorney and explain conversations that people who have died had that I wasn't there anyway, trying to make sense of how am I even going to do this? And I was feeling overwhelmed with it. But I told mom before the, before the funeral, I said, I'm, I don't know how we're going to figure this out, but we are. And I said, David said, I've been young. Now I'm old. I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his bed, uh, seed begging bread. And for any issues I ever had with dad, he definitely was a good provider. I will always give him that. And I know he wanted to provide for you. And I cannot believe we would get down here to the end of your life and you can't access the money that, and whatever's left over after she goes on, I'm supposed to get. So I said, I don't know how it's going to work out. Somehow it's going to work out. I got to go. I got to go to this funeral. I get up and said my part about Ed. Dr. Saylor gets up and he says, I know this doesn't sound like something you'd say at a funeral, but I just want to say, David said, I have been young. Now I'm old. I have not seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. I mean, I literally felt the top of my head burning. It was like, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that. Then he begins his message, because I've just been talking to the eye doctor about cataract surgery, and he says, I was taught in seventh grade about the retina and that you're, what actually happens, because the title of his sermon was, It's All in How You Look at It. And he said, um, we actually see everything upside down, but our brain puts it right side up because of the curve of your retina. And he was talking about how the Holy Spirit helps you change the way you look at a thing. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're all up in my grill, man. You just said my verse that I just said to my mom 15 minutes ago, and I'm sitting here, you know, struggling with an eye situation. You're talking about that. And then he starts talking about there are people in here you went through that divorce that you thought was going to kill you, but it didn't. And you, and you, and, and so I'm, you know, I'm like, yeah, I did. Check. And you went through that bankruptcy. And he said, I'm like, yes, I did, doctor. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like I've given him a script. He says, you know what it's like to lay awake at night and worry about that son of yours that's a drug addict? And I'm like, in fact, I do. I'm like, I'm like wanting to write it down, like, what else you got? And he, he literally preached a master, masterpiece. But what's that got to do with this? Let me tell you this. The reason I titled this, Wrestling with God to Find Yourself. How many of you ever in your life prayed for something that didn't happen? Tell me. Um, how many of you ever had a situation with some, somebody in the church or Christian that you expected so much better from that they really disappointed you. Anyway, um, how many of you ever had some mystery in your life that you know, you've prayed about and you don't understand why it doesn't change or get better, but you're still dealing with it? 
I mean, I could go on and on and on, but, but guess what? You got up this morning and you drove over here. You knew what I was going to do. Nobody's serving any food. There's no raffle for money. You knew I was going to stand up and for about an hour talk about the Bible. That was basically going to be it. There may or may not be a musical person, but one thing's for sure. Of all the years, as you, as many times as you've heard my stories, you've never heard me walk up and say, I just don't have anything to say today. And walk out. Ever. I always come up with something to say. So you knew what to expect. And you had good reason to say, I don't want to go hear that BS again because I've heard that and I know that stuff doesn't work. Because some people do think that. I've had people say, I have to leave the church because you, you know, you prayed my wife would be healed and she wasn't healed and I just can't, I can't get past it. So some people wrestle with God and they don't prevail. The man, capital M, said, your name is Israel because you fought with God and you fought with humanity and you won. How do you know if you won? You won because you've been hurt by people and you still love people. You've been confused by the ways of God and yet you still believe in God. You've got issues with things that are in the Scripture, but you still love the Bible. Your name is not Jacob. Your name is Israel, for you fought with God, and you won. You fought with man, and you won. Your fight made you scrappy. This is You know why you're not afraid now? You've already been through crap. You've already been through it. And got a good attitude. And keep, crazy as it sounds, keep believing. So do I have all the answers? No. The man wouldn't even tell Jacob what his name was. Bishop, who exactly are you talking about? I'm not exactly sure. Because this man doesn't sound like anything that describes the God I was told exists, the omnipotent, omniscient God, you're telling me God is somebody that you get in the ring with and fight and he can't prevail over you so he has to play dirty and still has to surrender? Yeah. I don't have all the keys of the kingdom, but I know there's a key on that ring somewhere. And the very fact that after all, Everything we've been through, all of us, your your story is different from mine, but you've probably got things you could tell about your childhood and stuff. Both are true. I could tell you things about my childhood that I think it was a privilege. I mean, it was wonderful. I was, uh, it was one. I could also tell you other things. Both things would be true and have you all crying in a minute. And you know what? You could do the same thing. Did you have a wonderful childhood? Yes. Did you have a horrible childhood? Yes. Both things are true. just depends on, as Dr. Saylor said, how you look at it. Because it's all coming in upside down. But as you wrestle with God, it goes right side up. And you can say, I don't have it all figured out, but there's enough 
I got enough of a taste of something that makes sense to me that makes me want to keep believing for more. Um, do you know why at this point I continue to minister? Because I'm old enough now. I could, I could go ahead and retire and start getting Social Security and, you know, I've got a couple of retirement things. I could start drawing on that. And there are some days when I just have a handful of people show up. I think, well, maybe, maybe it's run its course. Maybe, you know, because one of the big mysteries of my life, as I've told you before, I never hear people say you preached a good sermon. Every week of my life, I hear, you saved my life. I hear the term, you saved my life. It may be hyperbole, but I hear that one thing. I've heard that from more people in my life, more than any other phrase I've ever heard anybody else say. Nobody said, you're a good preacher. People say, oh my God, if I hadn't heard that word, I don't think I would have made it. That's the kind of dramatic stuff I hear. And the wrestling with God with that is, well, where are all the people then? If I'm saving that many lives, <laughs> you should, people should be lined up around the block. It's an unanswerable mystery that I'm not putting on you. You're like, we got here today. Don't yell at us. We're here. But I'd be lying if I said it's not a mystery or that I've wrestled with it. But here's the title. You wrestle with God to find yourself. Job found himself. Jesus on the Mount of Temptation found himself. On the Garden of Gethsemane, he found himself. You say, no, they found God. No, you found yourself. Because there's still things about God that you don't understand. But you know who you are. I know who I am. I know who I am. That's why you can't bully me with a few verses that you picked out. You can't scare me. I've heard worse from people bigger than you. You can't, like, you came too late. Um, so the wrestling with God reveals who you are. It's the road to demask us. So I just want to know more about God. No, you're learning more about you. And you're finding that you're made out of some good stuff. And the fact that you're not home this morning feeling sorry for yourself, because you could, you could find some stuff. You know what it's like to say, I don't think I'd end up at this point in my life being alone. Why don't I remember? You know, and when you, can I get really real? When you get to a certain age, that golden bachelor thing is slim pickings. You know? There I hate to tell you this, there ain't that many golden bachelors running around. <laughs> Am I being too real? And sometimes you say, I just cannot live with him or her anymore. Like, well, you better think about it, because you might not have a lot of alternatives. I'm just telling you. I could do better. Could you? Could you really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, is it that? I mean, I hate to be unromantic, but it really isn't that what marriage is? Finding the person who can just tolerate all of your stuff. They know it now, and they're like, yeah, all right. All right, I know you, but I'm... <laughs> I think I told y'all this before, but it just made me laugh. Y'all know who George Stephanopoulos is? It's on... 
really handsome guy and he's in super good shape. And his wife is that comedian, Allie Wentworth. And she's, you know, she's not a bad looking woman, but she's definitely self-deprecating and makes fun of herself. And somebody was talking about, cause they put George on some like 10 best looking men list or something. Said, I was laying there in bed and I didn't have any clothes on and George was up doing calisthenics or something and he looked over at me she said I looked down and she said I'm sorry <laughs> and she said he looked at me for a minute and said it's alright <laughs> I thought that was brilliant because it's the way life really is but it's easy to say well I didn't think I'd be at this point. Well, you are. That is where you are. Guess what? You still got to live your life and still believe in possibilities because you don't know. As crazy as it sounds, you could be at Starbucks this afternoon. Somebody walk up to you and say, pardon me, can I just ask you what your name is? You don't know. Don't get in the car with them till you know who they are. They might... That might be a serial killer. But what I'm saying is all things are possible, but you've also got to live with the possibility that a lot of things are improbable. Am I being too real? <laughs> and I'm just using that as an analogy for the way life is altogether. When I have the vision that comes in upside down. And I said, man, there's a lot of empty chairs in here today. And then I think, yeah, but look at, look at the people that showed up who didn't have to. You did not have to be here. But you are. So guess what? Your name is Israel. You fought with God. And you won. And if you have won this much, um, if you've made it this far, you can make it the rest of the way. And whatever you need to happen will happen. And thank God, like I had at that funeral Friday for a little signpost along the way, that I was like, thank you, that's all I need. Just, just tell me a little something that something out there that I call God sees me and is saying, this situation is going to be okay. You're going to figure it out. It's fine. And I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm good to go. Second wind. Uh, let's go for another round. And man, that fight was hard. And I am limping a little. Because God kicked, <laughs> kicked my, my hip out of socket. No, he did not. Who knew God is like Mike Tyson? Bite your ear off. <laughs> but you know what? I heard Evander Holyfield in an interview that laughed about it. He said, ah, it's fine. It's like, one of funny. I mean, they sewed what they could back on there. And he's not, they're like good buddies now. He's not even mad at him. He's like, yeah, we just laugh about it now. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you weren't laughing that night. Some of us looking a little raggedy because we've been fighting all night long. <laughs> Got teeth missing. <laughs> Ear hanging off. <laughs> limping. But we're here. We're here. 
of Jesus. Call us. <laughs> he said, Oh, you a handsome thing. I'm like, Where are we going? <laughs> I hopped right in that truck. <laughs> oh, I know he's a long life. <laughs> <laughs> Stand up, y'all. I am through with y'all. I can't even pray for y'all. Just play, play the outro. Y'all are crazy. Contributing to Metron is quick and easy. You can give any time using any smartphone. Text the amount you'd like to donate to 404-620-5044. You will then receive a notification that you successfully completed your donation. You may also visit visionthenow.com and click the support tab to give there as well. When you contribute to Metron, you're also donating to the charity or organization of the month. Thank you for your investment into Metron. If you have a check, just make it JSM. If you have cash, just pay it forward. Bless somebody. If you have a car, Starbucks card, give it to <laughs> give it to Felicia. <laughs> She's gonna be there for most of the afternoon. <laughs> There's two or three of them around. I'll give you, I'll give you the addresses. You can make around. <laughs> Did you get anything out of this? Yeah. All right. All right, you God wrestlers. Uh, stay strong. Stay well. Be blessed. Be back next week. Peace.